Let us pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is from the gospel lesson from John chapter 4, which we heard read just a moment ago. This portion of scripture has so much to teach us about so many things, but we always need to begin in the same place with the start at what this passage has to say to us about ourselves and our own personal relationship with God. We quickly notice in this passage that although Jesus had never met the Samaritan woman before, he already knows all about her. He says to her, go call your husband and come here. And she answers truthfully, I have no husband. But she's obviously trying to hide a lot from Jesus in the answer that she gives to him. But Jesus answers her very bluntly, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Well, the Samaritan woman was very quickly and clearly exposed for the sinful person she had been, apparently for a lot of years of struggle, and still was at that moment. Later on, when she returns to her town, she tells people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Now, of course, there wasn't time for Jesus to tell her everything she'd ever done in her life. But she does realize he could do that. He knew everything about her, including all the deep, deep, secret uh, sins and problems she had had. She was a guilty sinful woman. And what about us? What about you and me as we hear this scripture? The writer to the Hebrews says that God is discerning, he's knowing the thoughts and intentions of the heart of all, that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We might be able to hide our sins and weaknesses from other people, but we cannot hide our true self from God. God is the one who could take each one of us and tell us all that we ever did this day too. And what we are thinking and doing today, what's on our mind right now. And it's not always a pretty picture that Jesus sees. In our epistle lesson for today, in fact, Paul describes all of us as being weak, ungodly, sinners. And right after our text uh, epistle for today, he even describes us as being enemies, opposed at times to God and his will and his desire for us and for our lives. The bad news of this sermon text is that we are all guilty sinful people in our own ways, just exactly as that Samaritan woman was. In fact, the Lenten call to repentance is a call that catches every single one of us if we are honest. And as Paul says in the book of Acts, God commands all people everywhere to repent, 
because we are all sinful people. And again, there's no sense in trying to hide our sins from God. He knows them already, as we have heard. It's always better to admit and confess our sins. David says to God in Psalm 32, when I kept silent about my sins, there was only trouble for me. But when I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity, and said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And that's the amazing, remarkably good news also in the story of the Samaritan woman that we hear today. In spite of what Jesus knew about her, her past and her present, he still loved and cared for her. He cared enough to confront her with her sins and with her weaknesses, but he cared enough also to offer his very forgiveness and good gifts to her, though she certainly did not deserve them in any way. Jesus tells the woman of the gift of God. He calls it a gift, not something that she or anyone can earn or deserve at all. He says it's like living water that not only quenches thirst and spiritual thirst, but actually brings, he says, eternal life and forgiveness to people. And very clearly, Jesus is saying that this gift comes through him in this passage. In fact, he says as clearly as the scriptures say, I who speak to you am he. I'm the one who is the promised one, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, and the one who came from God to be the Savior of the world. And Jesus not only offered this gift of life and salvation, the water of life to her, he brought the woman and many of the Samaritans in her town to receive that gift and believe and trust in him. And in the process, Jesus also broke down many of the humanly made barriers that Jewish tradition had developed Again, not scriptural barriers, but human tradition barriers, and that actually kept people from coming to faith and believing in the Savior. Jewish men were not to speak to a woman in public. You just didn't do that according to tradition. Yet here is Jesus talking with this woman, and when the disciples come back from getting some food, they don't understand what he's doing. You're not supposed to do that, they thought. And they marvel at what Jesus is doing, but they don't say anything. But Jesus knew he had come to be the Savior of women as well as men and of children too. You might remember other scriptures where the disciples had trouble with children bothering Jesus as well. To him, though, everyone is valuable and important. Everyone needs to hear of him as the Savior of the world. Jews also had no use for non-Jews, anybody who was a non-Jew. They particularly disliked Samaritans, as we heard in our text. And the tradition again said, you're not even to go to a non-Jewish home ever. You're not uh, to associate with non-Jewish people. They'll make you unclean. 
Jews alone were really the people about whom God cared. They thought. But here again is Jesus talking not only with a woman, but a Samaritan woman, whom the Jews dislike so much. And later on, he goes to a town full of Samaritans, and he spends two days with them, closely talking with them and sharing with them the good news. Again, Jesus knew that he came to be the savior of every race of people in the world, that all are important and valuable to him, and he needs to share his good news with everyone he can. Jews also tended to be focused on their land and their temple as the right and exclusive place for worship and their nation above all other nations. But here is Jesus again in this text, telling that non-Jewish Samaritan woman that the place of worship is not exclusively in Jerusalem or in Samaria, as a Samaritan's thought, or in the Middle East or in the Western world, but it's anywhere where God's people gather around Jesus and his word. Later on, we learn from other scriptures, gather also around the word connected with water and baptism, the word connected with the elements and the gift of the Lord's Supper. It's gathering around Christ and his gifts that is true worship. And the nation and the place don't matter, but it's Jesus happy when people gather around him and his word and his his sacraments in spirit and in truth, as Christ truly teaches his word. While Jews tended also to focus on their own efforts to make themselves good, this was their biggest problem. They thought they could actually make themselves righteous, acceptable enough to God by doing enough of the right things. But the scriptures say that Jesus himself knew what was in a man. He knows what's in every human being. That in fact, there's not so much that's good, but there's much sin and weakness and failure, in fact, to be righteous on our own every time before God. And so Jesus spends most of his time, as he talks to that Samaritan woman, first exposing her sin, but most of the time talking about himself and what he came to bring, because he alone could rescue and help that woman. He himself is the true Messiah and Savior for all of these people. And in those two days that Jesus spent talking and teaching the Samaritans, I sure wish I could have been there to hear how he did that and what he taught in those two days. But he must have surely shown all the people their sin, and a better way that they could spend their time and their lives. But above all, he focused again upon himself. God's saving plan by sending his son Jesus and his perfect life in our place and in their place. His sacrifice on the cross to pay for every single sin that we and they have done. And his victory over death, bringing the ultimate gift of God eternal life simply by trusting him. And it worked. Jesus was at work here. The Holy Spirit was at work as Jesus proclaimed the word of God to them, as the Holy Spirit's always at work every time we hear the scriptures. And we hear at the end of this passage, 
Many more believed because of Jesus' word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, that this miracle worker can know everything about us. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world, of everyone. Frankly, that's our hope still today. We have the same word of God to which we listen, the same Savior, Jesus, and it doesn't matter for us either whether we are male or female, what our race happens to be, what country we have come from, where we live, or even what a mess we may have made of our lives in various ways uh, through the years and in the past. Our Lord knows all about us too, and he still loves us, and in fact he has already paid the penalty for all those sins if we would know it and believe it. Our future is secure too, as he simply brings us to believe and to keep trusting in him. Remember the words of our epistle lesson for today, again read a few moments ago. Paul wrote, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly, that's what we are on our own. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, that's what we are, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, Paul says, we were reconciled to God by his Son. We didn't reconcile ourselves to him. He reconciled us to God by his saving work. Therefore, Paul says, since we have been justified, counted right with God simply by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace, this undeserved favor of God that we have received too, in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, of eternal life too, simply through Jesus. What wonderfully good news that is for us too, as well as what that Samaritan woman and her friends heard. There's one last thought in this story that I'd like to point out. So much more that's here, but the whole story began with talk about a cup of water. About, and the Samaritan woman gets so excited as Jesus goes on and tells her, about, tells her about himself that she forgets her own water jar and goes back to her town and tells the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? This is a poor, miserable sinner speaking here. Would you say that was a great witness? Wasn't real clear. She even had her own questions yet. And yet, she was a witness for Jesus, and the Lord used her a poor, miserable sinner. She does point people to Jesus. He says, come and see this man. And she opens some doors, and Jesus is the one who then brings many to faith. And I wonder if some of us poor, miserable sinners sitting here today could possibly also be a witness for Christ in the days ahead. This is good news that God wants everyone to know, simply in Jesus and what he has done for us. For you and me, it probably won't be at a well, but it could be over a cup of coffee, talking with someone, 
wherever the Lord places us in the days that are ahead. And this is such good news. We know it, we trust it, uh, and we pray the Lord keeps us in that faith. But it's good news for everyone and to be shared with all. And we might play a part in that, as that Samaritan woman did, as weak as she was so long ago. In Christ's name, amen. Let us rise for prayer. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and our minds safe in Christ Jesus, the only place where we can be safe, rejoicing in his love and sharing it with others. In his name we pray. Amen.